0: This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 330, and we're recording on May 24th. I'm Amanda Nelson, and I'm here with Jen Northington, and we are coming to you from Book Riot for the last time.
1: Yeah, big news today, y'all.
0: Big, yeah. big news. <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess I should take it, because it's yeah. kind of my doing. So I, after a decade, have taken a new position at another company, and... So, you know, I gave my notice a few weeks ago, and Jen and I have been talking about, you know, with the the editorial team and Sharifa, who's our executive editor, and Vanessa, who's the managing editor, about what to do with the show when I'm gone, and... The decision was was functionally that we didn't kind of didn't want to keep doing it. (laughs) Well, like we're we're
1: mothballing it, I think is the right framing. We don't have somebody because Amanda is quite literally irreplaceable. (laughs) We don't have someone who can just like slide into that seat, you know. Mm -hmm. So uh, we're going to take some time to think about what we could do with the show where it's not... The Amanda and Jen show with occasional yeah. guests. Like, what could it look like if it wasn't this? Because it's not going to be this anymore. So, yeah. yeah, it's a it's a big change. And I, like, don't know what's going to happen to me during this recording. Oh, <laughs> I same. like I'm happy for you and I'm sad Thank for you. me. Those are my feelings.
0: I have the same feelings. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm very excited about a new chapter. I'm really, really sad to be going you know yeah I, I, I've been at book riot for the entirety of my professional life before mm. you know I mean before I was a freelancer I was a bookseller for a bit but I was I was very much dabbling in in stuff in like whatever was you know would fit into my life when I had two newborns and and all of that and this has been my whole career this has been my whole life really like Wild. my whole professional life has been here um and so it's it's super super weird to be leaving this show has been so great, especially, mm-hmm. and I'm sure Jen would agree. Like as we have kind of climbed the ladder here, the work becomes less and less and less about books, and, yeah, and and less about any of the stuff that brought us here to begin with. <laughs> like we both started with, you know, I was a book blogger and Jen was a bookseller, and like that's who we were, that's what we did. Right. But it, that's certainly not what I do now, except for this. And so it was always a, a touchstone for me, like the one place that I could still go to scratch this itch of like wanting to talk about books that I've loved. And now I won't have anywhere to do that, which is a bummer. But I am excited about reading whatever I want. <laughs> right, I was going to say, there is the freedom to just
1: read books. And yeah, I think it's going to be, I mean, you know, we are going to try to figure out because obviously recommending books for people specifically is a thing that y'all want and that we like doing. So we, we're we going to figure something else out, something else. But yeah, this is so so we have this episode and then Amanda's last hand. Cancel, will go live on Monday. So <laughs> tune in for that. It's yeah. a very I think it's a good note to go out on without giving yeah. anything away.
0: <laughs> and maybe just like don't unsubscribe from the yes. feed. Right. Because if we decide to do something else with the show, or you know, if the show turns into I don't know, a newsletter, I'm just spitballing here. Like no matter what it turns into, BookRight will let you know. And probably yes. in this feed. So yes. just hang on to the feed and it'll show up in some form or another in the future. Yeah, correct. Correct.
1: Hang on to the feed. We'll drop an announcement.
0: We're going to do a normal show. Right. <laughs> like I felt like, um, I don't know, I didn't want to go out without doing this one more time. Mm-hmm. And we had questions that folks said that were like time sensitive and that I felt like we should get to. And so we're going to do the show. It might be a little bit longer than usual because we're rambling here. I'm rambling here. Um, <laughs> but we're going to do the normal seven questions and bid you all adieu. Um, I am. So, I mean, you can always come find me on on the internet which I will talk about at the end. And now I'm rambling. Because this is really weird, y'all. It's (laughs) so weird. weird. (laughs) And it's like kind of tough. But okay, so moving forward. I don't have to tell you how the show works (laughs) anymore. So I'm not going to do that. But we do have a few bits of feedback. So the first one is from another Amanda who says... Feedback for Stephanie from the Oceans 8 meets Hustlers request. I recommend Molly Harper's Bluegrass series, which is a trilogy set around a cast of characters that all work for the Kentucky Tourism Commission and each book focuses on a different main character, but the rest of the crew is very present. And then Tenelle has feedback for Rowan, um, which is Pillow Thoughts by Courtney Peppernell, a three-book collection by a sapphic author dealing with toxic relationships and moving on. Okay, I'm going to read our first question. We will hear from our first sponsor and then away we will go. Our first question is from Madison, who says, I've been reading a lot of works by Haruki Murakami and wondered if you had any recommendations for similar authors in either theme or style. I really like the way he explores themes of loneliness and human connection and the simple beauty of his writing style. My two favorite books uh, I've read by him so far are After Dark and Norwegian Wood, and I cared for the wind-up Bird Chronicle the least. I'm not a big fan of YA, and I would it would be extra amazing if the book was over 300 pages. All right, let's hear from our sponsor. <laughs>
2: Today's episode is brought to you by Greenleaf Book Group. No summer vacation should be without a great read. And I don't know about you, but I am partial to mysteries and thrillers for my hot month reads. It's hot girl reading summer, always over here. And from the award-winning librettist of Legally Blonde, the musical and the screenwriter of Freaky Friday, Heather Hawk, comes the page-turning psychological thriller, The Trouble with Drowning. So when author Eden Hart floats into Tucson's Antigone books and all her dazzling perfection to give a reading, Cat, a struggling writer, can't help but compare herself. Thankfully, Cat's life starts to take on its own Eden-like glow when her literary future takes shape and she falls madly in love with Jacob. As demons from her past begin to surface, Cat's mental health craters and this halcyon dream slips through her fingers. For the fastest paced slow burn you won't be able to put down, be sure to check out The Trouble with Drowning by Heather Hawk on Amazon or your retailer of choice. And thanks again to Greenleaf Book Group for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. Jen, what is your Murakami read-alike? Yeah, I...
1: Will say that like Murakami is Murakami, right? Like he's yeah. <laughs> doing a very specific thing. But I got really sucked into this sentence where you talked about liking the themes of loneliness and human connection and mm-hmm. the simple beauty of the writing style. And my pick has some of that like fabulism plus the modern world. So I'm giving you Exit West by Mohsen Hamid, which is an amazing novel that is very much about how do we connect with. With others? what does it mean? Like how does how do relationships evolve and grow over time in these very specific circumstances? So this is very much also a refugee story. It takes place in an unnamed country that is right on the brink of civil war. There's a lot of political unrest and violence. And there are two young people who meet, Nadia and Saeed, and they start uh, like a romantic, you know, entanglement and then end up, you know, sort of sheltering together. And the sort of fabulous element in this book is that there are specific doors in the world, not any door, specific doors, where if you go through them... You will go somewhere far away, and you don't really know necessarily where you're gonna go or like what's gonna happen when you get there, but like it is a way to leave. And so they, like, scrape together what they need to buy passage through a door to get out of this war-torn country. And then, you know, the story follows them from there. And their relationship grows and changes over the course of the book. And, you know, they encounter other refugees. They end up in various places where, you know, they have to deal with those experiences. It is so, like, Hamid's prose is so simply beautiful. Like, it's so crisp and clean and clear. I love reading um, his work. And I think this book is fantastic. And I do think it's a good comp for what you're looking for. So again, that's Exit West by Mohsen Hamid.
0: I also fixated on that line <laughs> about loneliness and human connection and simplicity, and so I picked What's Left of Me is Yours by Stephanie Scott, which comes with a trigger warning for violence against women. Um, Scott is a Singaporean and British writer, and the book is set in Japan, um, and it is about a woman named Rina, who as a child lost her mother. Her mother was murdered, and the murderer has been in prison for, I don't know, 20, 10, 15 years, like a bit, <laughs> a while, and... So you bounce back and forth between her childhood, uh, growing up with her mom, like when she was about seven or eight, and then the present day. And in the present day, the person who has gone to prison for killing her mother is getting out. And so she is having to deal with those feelings and also trying to figure out what actually happened because nobody has really told her. When she lost her mother, um, she was raised by her grandfather, and he kind of hid all of the news coverage of the case and everything from her. So she's got a very hazy idea of what prompted this person to do this thing to her mom and why. And so you get flashbacks, and then the present day kind of go back and forth. And in the flashbacks, you come to understand that what has happened is that Rina was um, married to a man named Sato, her husband, and uh, Sumiko's father. And he hires, her father hires a, what they call a breaker-upper, like a professional who you can hire to seduce your spouse so that you can take pictures of it and then have a reason, like grounds for divorce. Because, you know, in Japan at that time, getting divorced was was more tricky than it is now. And so that's what happens. He hires this breaker-upper to seduce his wife so that he could get out of this marriage. But what happens is that the seducer who he has hired falls in love with her mom and they start this kind of like torrid, really passionate affair, and then it all goes kind of downhill from there. And everyone in this book, despite the plot like being literally about how they're they're too close <laughs> or are coming too too close together or too entangled, everyone in this book is so alone, like so isolated. The way that this professional seducer gets to the mother is by exploiting her loneliness. The father is like hates his marriage and feels very isolated. Um, Obviously, the daughter who's grown up with a really distant grandfather and now doesn't have any family is all alone and is trying to reconnect with the memory of her mother. It's just like everybody is so heartbreakingly alone. And the writing is really, really simple. But it's such a explosive concept. Like it's such a strange Mm. and like sorted kind of story... But it's so quiet, and I think Murakami does that same kind of thing. You know, like there are little alien people and like multidimensional things in a lot of his books. But it's just so matter of fact and so Mm -hmm. like chill. Um, And I think that that is something that Stephanie Scott is also really good at. So that's what's left of me of yours. Yeah. Nope. What's left of me is yours by (laughs) Stephanie Scott. (laughs) Wouldn't be a final show without me flubbing a million. I (laughs) was just gonna
1: say this is our idiom. (laughs) All right. Our next question is from Anonymous, who says... Recently, I took a long trip and found myself considering what is the perfect plane read. My flight was long, six hours there and back, and as I am a fairly quick reader, I found myself reaching for two hefty books. I spent a long, agonizing amount of time considering what to bring, weighing the pros and cons, and while my trip has passed and my book's chosen, I thought this could potentially be an interesting question for the podcast. What books would you two recommend as the perfect plain reading, in your opinions, anyway? This is an interesting question. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about, for me, a good plain read has to to be like at least a little bit page turny it doesn't have to be super plotty I don't need it to like you know have action on every page but I have to like be as engrossed as possible so you know I need to connect with the characters I need to you know like be immersed in the setting and I need to care about what's happening next and like not feel able to put it down right Mm -hmm. So my pick for this is Light Years from Home by Mike Chen, which, you know, I have talked about uh, at least once, if not twice, already on this show. It's one of my favorite books of the past year. It is so page-turny because you are just so unclear on who to believe about what is going on in this book. It follows a family, and the main one of the main characters is Jacob. You're following all of these adult siblings. And Jacob, like the book opens with him on an alien ship, like trying to escape back to Earth to avoid being captured by these other bad aliens. And like he has like secrets in his brain that he needs to protect. And he's like, okay, I'm going to go back to Earth. They'll never find me there. And then I'll reconnect with my allies and like everything will be fine. He has been gone from Earth for 15 years, like 15 years ago. You know, he vanished during the middle of a camping trip and uh, along with his father. His father turned up days later very confused and, like, babbling about UFOs. And his sisters, Cass and Evie, had very different reactions to this event. Cass believes that Jacob just took off, that he, like, left, flaked out on the family. It wouldn't be the first time he had done something like that and was, like, super inconsiderate and... Has basically written him off as a lost cause. Evie believes her father that they were abducted by aliens and has spent the past 15 years like trying to prove the existence of UFOs while also like making a living as a vet tech. So Jacob returns and they all have to deal with what has happened to their family in the meantime. And every time I felt like I knew what was going on, Like, we switched POV, and I suddenly was in doubt every single time. Like, you think you know what's happening in this book, and then a new character pulls the rug out from under you, and it is so well done. And I think also the sort of, like, when I'm flying, I feel very displaced, right? I'm, like, Mm -hmm. sort of in between. I'm in a limbo state. And this book feels like the characters are very much in a limbo state trying to figure out what comes next for them. And I love the way it was handled. Quick trigger warnings for dementia and also loss of a parent. Uh, so there's some real intense grief stuff in here. FYI. So again, that was Light Years from Home by Mike Chen.
0: Yeah, I feel similar, similarly about flying. Um, I want there to be a lot of tension in, in the book. Mm, like I want to mm-hmm. be really invested and feeling like I'm being pulled along so that I could ignore the fact that my knees hurt. <laughs> and the guy next to me won't get his elbow out of my ribcage. <laughs> so I want to be like really, really engrossed. Also, I would I will say this, that you don't want to read anything sad on a plane because there are studies that show that you are more apt to cry when you are yeah. on a plane. It has like something to do with the atmospheric difference. I noticed this after I read uh, Marilyn Robinson's Home, I think on an airplane and just cried for like two hours. And I was like, this (laughs) is weird. Like, I don't usually, you know. And then I Googled it after. And it's like a thing. It's a phenomenon. So try to avoid the sad things. Otherwise, your eyes will hurt. And who wants to be more uncomfortable when flying? (laughs) So I picked the book that I read most recently that was the most engrossing. It's called The Change. It's by Kirsten Miller. And it is a... So weird. (laughs) I read it in like one sitting. And it is as if The Witches of Eastwick were menopausal and were taking down Jeffrey Epstein, if that (laughs) makes sense. So obviously, trigger warnings for childhood sexual abuse. And it's very obviously supposed to be Epstein and Maxwell, which is Lane Maxwell, uh, in the book. Um, So this takes place in Montauk Island, which is, you know, off Long Island. Is Montauk on an island? It's on Lang Island. Anyway. And it, you have three women, you know, just like in the Witches of Eastwick, who are all menopausal. They're all in like their late 40s, early 50s. And at, at, as they have gone through this physical change, it has brought on these powers that they have now. So like, for one of the women, her hot flashes like physically manifest in her hands. And so she becomes really physically strong. Um, One of them becomes like a an herbal witch that can make plants do things. Um, one of them can see the dead. And they find each other on this island. And it's it becomes really obvious that their powers combined are supposed to make like one kind of force for justice for women in the world. They're like menopausal Captain Planet. Is that yes. what we're saying here? Yes. Oh, my God. Yes. That's what I'm saying now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's no Captain Planet who like comes but and there's no like main, like lady who comes down from on hikes, just the three of them. I had reservations about it because, you know, we get a lot of these books that are like, what if women but murder? or Like, mm. what if women but powers to overpower men and things like that? And there's a bit of that here. But the, the thing that like gets it over that hump for me is that this isn't all women. Like the book isn't doing an all women thing where they hit menopause and have all these powers and therefore are excluding all trans people and non-binary people and all that. It's three women in like every generation come into these kind of abilities. And so it's not supposed to be a thing about, you know, making generalizations about how one Mm. gender should or should not behave or whatever. Mm. And so they, they come into these powers. The woman who speaks who can hear the dead or sees the dead finds a body on the Montauk Beach and this leads them into this mystery of like, you know, who is killing these kind of young girls on the, in this like pretty well to do section of uh, New York. And that their investigation leads them to a, a gated community on the very tip of Long Island where like titans of industry, former presidents. You see where I'm going with this. I'll have these giant mansions and no one questions them. They come in and out via helicopters and no one is allowed into the community. And so obviously that's where like the Epstein stuff comes in. And so it's like if really, really angry, middle-aged women had magical powers and then got to go do something about Epstein. <laughs> like that's basically, it's a revenge fantasy. It's a total revenge fantasy. It's very satisfying. I read it right after the Supreme Court leak for Roe versus Wade, and so I was full of just, like, I don't know what to do with this rage. And reading about these women who just went after, like, really powerful, awful old men, I'm telling you, it was very vindicating (laughs) it's a good and i think that this would be a great plain read because you know there's a mystery so you're being pulled along there's a lot of emotion um you're not going to be able to put it down and you'll find this a lot of the the ways that the women in the book feel to be i mean like relatable you know just relatable if you are not a woman um i think it's still important because like there are no books about menopausal women as as like main characters so it's important either way no matter who you are so that's the change by kirsten miller All right. Our third question is from Ellen, who says, I've been enjoying alternate history recently, and I'm looking for other reads similar to Dread Nation and River of Teeth books. All right, Jen, what you got?
1: Well, you are going to recommend oh, yeah. one of my favorite authors for this and all of his books do this. So just like just saying pre mm-hmm. pre cosine, It's a pre cosine. <laughs> um, <laughs> but my pick for you, it's a little heftier than the other ones you mentioned, but so, so good. One of my favorite alternate histories of the past, I don't know, five or six years, whenever it came out is Everfair by Nisi Shawl. I will give content warnings for very graphic violence, like war crimes, racism, because this is a reimagining of what happened in the Belgian Congo. It is alternate history with like some fantasy in there. It is extremely queer and really interestingly rebuilds this moment in time where if... When Belgium was colonizing the Congo, if the native population had access to steam technology, it's like very steampunky what would have happened? Like, how would they have been able to fight back? Like, how would the balance of power have been shifted? And there's such an interesting cast of characters. Like, you have these socialists from England who are, like, you know, determined to create a utopia in this land that they've bought in this area, who then, because they're all about, like, you know, socialism, join forces with the local population. There's missionaries. There's all kinds of different people. There's formerly enslaved people from America who have returned to Africa. There's, like, different populations and cultures and ethnicities going on. It's so broad-ranging, but you get so attached to these characters. And it's such a like amazing way to sort of rethink... What happened in this moment and what that history could have looked like. It ends on such an interesting note, which side note is even more exciting because I have heard through the grapevine that we might get a sequel, which I have just been sitting here waiting for forever. (laughs) I've been waiting and waiting. Ah. I really wanted one and I think we're going to get one. So that's really exciting. So like get on this train now. It is so interesting and so well done and, like, very immersive. Uh, again, that's Everfair by Nisi Shaw.
0: That's exciting.
1: <laughs> Isn't it? I am so jazzed about that.
0: All right. So, as Jen alluded, my book is Black God's Drums by P. Jelly Clark, who is writes a lot of alternative histories. Also, like, Tor.com's novellas mm-hmm. are kind of overwhelmingly alternative <laughs> histories, Um, I don't know what they're doing over there, but I'm into it. So, yeah. So this is set in New Orleans in an alternate history where the South uh, did not lose the Civil War. And there are portions of the South that are still being held by the Confederacy. um, And New Orleans is one of them. There's a young girl. She's a teenager. Our main character, her name is Creeper. And she wants to get out of Dodge (laughs) for obvious reasons. Um, And in this, this is like a steampunk alternate history. So there are airships that travel in and out of the city. And so she's got her kind of sights set on getting on board a ship called Midnight Robber. And she's going to do this by getting the captain's trust via giving her some information that she's overheard in her time like out on the streets. And the thing that she has overheard is that the Confederates have kidnapped a Haitian scientist who has developed a weapon that he calls the Black God's drums. And that they're going to use this to further their aims in the South and beyond. So she's going to tell the airship captain this information and use it to get passage aboard this ship. The wrinkle um, is that Creeper is also holding a god of wind and storms inside of her named Oya who talks to her and gives her powers on occasion you know, when the mood strikes. And the mood is like really striking right now. <laughs> and mm. Oya is like coming to the fore and taking more control and being becoming more uncontrollable within uncontrollable within Creeper and is also calling out to this captain named anne of the airship because there's something in her that, you know, this god is like recognizing. Um, so there's a lot of supernatural elements to it. There are other than, I think, two or three Confederate soldiers who you hear in passing, like, overhear them talking about the um, the kidnapping, there are no white characters. Um, and it involves a lot of not, I mean, obviously, it's alternate history. So, like, a lot of the stuff didn't happen. But the, the involvement of Haiti is, like, a thing that's never really talked about when it comes to 19th century American history. So, I thought that was really interesting. The weapons are really fantastically imagined. It's all like fascinating and all crammed into this little book that's like barely over a hundred pages so it's such a good time and then if you like it you know you can read the rest of his backlist so that's black god's drums by p jelly clark
1: all right our next question is from scrolls, it's very long. jessica <laughs> this is a long question we will abbreviate jessica says i'm looking for recommendations for my rather eclectic book club Past picks have ranged from sci-fi to classics to contemporary fiction to nonfiction books about nature or science. A few favorites have been Anxious People, Entangled Life, The Lay of Heaven, and Parable of the Sower. We take turns presenting suggestions to the group. The last time around, I had a really hard time finding a book that people were willing to pick. We eventually settled on The Witch's Heart. When we read it, the general consensus was we liked it, but we didn't love it. I consider this a win since we did get some good discussions out of it. Uh, Our picks seem to be all over the place, but in broad terms, favorite books, whether fiction or nonfiction, seem to gently introduce readers to a new perspective or way of thinking about the world and other people. The group is theoretically willing to try any type of book, but so far, none of the YA or mystery books I've suggested has been selected. Most other genres seem to be fair game except romance or horror. Uh, Let's see. Oh, there's a note here about um, wanting books that have been published for at least a year because a lot of them use library. And then there's a whole list of the books that they've read and liked and didn't like, etc. I'm going to keep going. So I picked Velvet Was the Night by Sylvia Moreno-Garcia, which is a little bit historical fiction, a little bit noir. I mean, it's a lot both of those things, but like it's both of those things mashed up. It is not a mystery. Like there is not there's there is a mystery in it, but it doesn't have mystery pacing. I think it's much more paced like uh, historical fiction. And I think that y- this is particularly good for your book group because it is a story set in 1970s Mexico City about the political protests and unrest that was going on during that time period, which, like, I did not know anything about. And, you know, if your group is in North America, like, I'm betting y'all maybe don't know about that either. So it does introduce you to a time and a place that maybe you have not read about before before. And we get two characters who are super interesting. And the way that Moreno-Garcia parallels these characters is so well done. There's a lot of book club fodder here. Um, Maite is our uh, heroine. Well, anti-heroine? Anyway, she is a secretary. She lives a very humdrum life. She escapes into the issues of this romance comic called Secret Romance. And, you know, like really nothing is happening. She doesn't love her job but you know she needs it to pay the bills like her mom is always nagging her she's not really in touch with her family she lives alone like she lives a pretty isolated and sort of sad life. Her neighbor Leonora is this like very beautiful art student who's like you know always perfectly clothed and has the hot boyfriend and Maite is definitely a little bit jealous of her Um, and Leonora comes to her and is like will you watch my cat I'm going away for a a few days and Maite needs some money so she says yes and then Leonora never comes back. And things get very (laughs) mysterious. And then our other character is Elvis. This is his his, his, like, you know, obviously it's not his real name, but (laughs) he (laughs) loves the music of Elvis. He works in a gang that basically gets hired to beat up student protesters by the government. Like he doesn't know exactly who he's working for, but he has the sense that that's what's going on. He is very like in this place where his Life and circumstances have sort of led him to this job. It's not that he likes it, but like, what are his other options? He's extremely limited options at ed- education. He's like trying to better himself. He's learning a word a day. He gets made fun of, you know, but it's, you know, whatever. He's doing his best. It's just that his best is working in this, like, very shady, not-so-great violent profession. And the two of them start to sort of spiral around each other after Lauren- Leonora's disappearance, and we start to find out why. There are some great action moments, but this is a slow burn. And what's so juicy about it in terms of, like, book club discussion is, like, the setting, the way these two characters are set up against each other, what else is going on in the background. It's a really fascinating read, and I think it would work great for y'all. So again, that's Velvet Was the Night by Silvia Moreno-Garcia.
0: All right. So I went through the list of books that y'all liked, and I noticed that a lot of them are like, what if this world but weird <laughs> mm. like parable of the sower you know the bright edge of the world the length mm. of heaven all of these have some kind of like weird kind of dystopian or supernatural or kind of thing going on like that. And so I mashed that up with your request that the book be from a perspective that you probably haven't encountered. And I came up with Moon of the Crusted Snow by Wabgashig Rice. And this is a post-apocalyptic book. It's kind of slim. It's only like 200 pages. So it's a good book club pick. And it takes place in a little northern Anishinaabe community that is Pretty isolated, but it's isolated enough that when the civilization starts to fall apart, they kind of don't notice for a while. Like, they don't have great, you know, they don't have a lot of internet, they don't have TVs. Uh, a supply truck comes like once a month, you know, the phone not working every now and then is pretty normal, like that kind of stuff. And so they get, they start getting hints that something down in the South, which they keep referring to, which means just like the rest of the world down in the South is going wrong, but they kind of don't know what to do about it. Like, eh, whatever. We've got other things to worry about. Winter is coming. We need to, you know, store up our food and all this kind of stuff. And then two kids, like college students from the community who had gone away to college return and... You know, with the story of like what's going on, you know that the the world and all the infrastructure in it has essentially fallen apart. You don't get any real information about like the cause of the apocalypse. So like, don't go into it looking for an apocalypse narrative. This is very much like what happens after. And so, the community has to you know figure out what to do, how they're going to survive, maintain a semblance of order, and all of that. And they're like in the middle of doing that when some. New people show up from the South who are fleeing the kind of violence and chaos of what's going on as the world has fallen apart and they have come to this community. And there's one particular character who is just gross <laughs> I and mean, he's he's immediately, like, slimy and manipulative. And the community can't get rid of him because they have values about hospitality and not abandoning people in times of need and all this kind of stuff. So they let this, like, I don't know, he almost feels like a special, like a special forces reject white dude Mm. into their community. And he is very braggadocious about his, like, you know, uh, survival skills and all this kind of stuff. And of course, this, like, First Nations community is like, okay, you know, like, whatever. (laughs) You have cosplayed survival, that's cute. Um, But then he turns out to be pretty dangerous. And he tries to take over leadership. And it's like a whole internal struggle. It feels very Stephen King ish. Like Stephen King has that thing where he takes one community in a really small town and then just like rips it apart. Um, and that is a lot of what's going on here. Like that just dread that follows you through the whole book. But the, the interesting the thing that I think distinguishes this from like other kind of post apocalyptic narratives is that This is not the first apocalypse that the Native American Mm -hmm. or First Nations people have experienced. So, you know, it's not their first rodeo. If civilization were to truly be destroyed, it would be like a lot of America's first rodeo and a lot of Canada's first rodeo, but not theirs. Like their civilization has been destroyed over and over and over again. They know how to come back from it or like how to persevere in the moment. So the perspective is totally different. And I, you know, I didn't really know that going into the book, but I was so blown away by it because it seems so obvious once you say it. Like, Mm -hmm. of course, if there was going to be a a community that knew how to survive something like that, that's who it would be. But, you know, if you're not in that community, how would you, why would you think that or think about it? Or you were not taught anything about it, you know? So anyway, uh, it's a lot packed into a really engrossing book. And that's Moon of the Crusted Snow by Wabgashig Rice.
1: Uh, We'll co-sign that. Also,
0: (laughs) A plus use
1: of braggadocious.
0: Thank you. Just have to call that out. He's very braggadocious. (laughs) Okay,
2: time for our next sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of 888-LOVE and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang. When she drinks, she's bold and funny, and as pledging intensifies, so does Blake's drinking. Thanks again, to Thirsty by Jazz Hammonds for sponsoring this episode. Okay, question five is from Nikki,
0: who says, At the end of the semester, I always find myself craving literary fiction with rich people, or at least fairly well-off middle-class people, behaving badly in beautiful locations. The Vacationers, Seating Arrangements, and Crazy Rich Asians are some of the books that have scratched that itch for me in seasons before. Do you have any suggestions? My mom just died, so a little bit of tragedy is okay, but not extended battles with cancer, if possible. All right, Jen, what you got?
1: All right. I have got... I I went to the contributors for some help with this one because I was out of rich people problems books that I (laughs) hadn't already recommended regularly. So this is on spec, but it sounds like it might be a great one for you. It's House of Trelawney by Hannah Rothschild. And this is like formerly rich English aristocrats in a crumbling mansion trying to pretend that they still have money, which sounds very enjoyable. Uh, It is uh, very, like sort of quirky character situation. There are a few different folks living in this crumbling Trelawney Castle in Cornwall. There's um, a married couple and their children and dog, um, ancient old parents and an aunt who is like an entomologist who studies fleas because obviously, right? (laughs) And you're getting uh, different perspectives the sort of crux uh, or the catalyst for the story is that the daughter of one of the, you know, grown children, Aisha, is um, 19. And she is being sent back to the house by her mother to stay. And the mother was like sort of banned from the house. But so, you know, whatever. Complicated family reasons. Um, So this 19-year-old is coming in and upsetting like the unhinged balance of like them pretending that they're still fancy and rich. So, you know, quirky characters, definitely not necessarily a beautiful setting because the house is like crumbling and apparently there are a lot of descriptions of what that looks like, but certainly a different, like a, a setting that you are not likely to be in by judging by your question. And definitely sort of one of these escapist, like, wow, okay, that's you've made some choices. Like, you are a fan family who has made some choices and now you have to live with them. And this is what it looks like. So that again is House of Trelawney by Hannah Rothschild.
0: Okay. I picked The Jet Setters by Amanda Ayer Ward, which does come with a trigger warning for suicide. And this is such a like middle-class people behaving badly book. And I, I just love it so much. So it's about a 70 year old woman named Charlotte who is a uh, widowed was widowed long ago like her husband died many many moons ago and so she has raised her four children three her three children by herself um she's like I said 70 now and she enters an essay contest she like has a little bit too much chardonnay one night and <laughs> enters an essay contest <laughs> where she has to write like a, a story I think it's about the first time her like first big romance or something like that And she wins. And her prize is tickets and all expenses paid Mediterranean cruise for her and her family. So she gathers her children together to go on this cruise with her. They are all grown. Like they're all, you know, one of them is an actress. One is a stay-at-home mom. um, One of them is a venture capitalist. Like they're all out there doing their own thing. And they have a lot of baggage, both with like their personal lives and with their mom, um, who's a very uptight Catholic Who drink slash her name, as I said, and is not has not been like the warmest parent or the most accepting parent. Like, for one birthday, she gave her daughter who has like three children a Weight Watchers gift certificate. Like, this is the kind of like wealthy, overbearing mother we're dealing with here. So they all agree for reasons that are explained in the book to go on this cruise. And then they are stuck together on this boat in like sun drenched Greece, you know, and like beautiful cathedrals of Spain, just ripping each other to shreds and bringing up all of these old wounds, but also having these like real moments of tenderness and togetherness and forgiveness and, and you know, like, especially when the kids all band together against their mom and are like, Mom, stop it! You know, like the, that kind of just family shenanigans. Um, it can be very dark at times. A lot of horrible things have happened to this family, but it is... I think mostly just very, like, gossipy. It feels like the book version of, like, drinking a Cosmo on a balcony. Like, and over, like eavesdropping on some rich people having an mm. argument about something ridiculous. You know what I mean? Um, which is kind of, like, same as you. The vibe that I want this time of year is, like, nonsense problems. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Um, because it's summer, and, like, I don't want to think about anything real. That said, there are real problems in this book. But a lot of them are problems that these people have made for themselves. And not, like illness or poverty or things like that so i think it's a good pick so that's the jet setters by amanda air ward which i think was a reese book club book so there you go
1: Mm, All right. Our next question is from Lauren, who says, I'm looking for recommendations for my daughter and myself. My 20-year-old recently received a bipolar diagnosis. As she tries to make sense of it, she's looking to read about characters and people she can relate with with mental health struggles. She told me the books she has read, The Person with Mental Illness Kills Themselves. I think fiction or memoir from or about people who are struggling and living with mental illness would really help. For myself, I'm looking for For books to help me learn more about bipolar disorder, as well as how to support someone with significant mental health challenges. Okay, I'm going to keep going. So I was thinking about fiction in which, yeah, the main character with uh, mental illness gets to be a hero because that should and does exist Mm -hmm. and I picked uh, YA fantasy because YA fantasy is really fun and also both the author and the character share a diagnosis with your daughter. Uh, It's For a Muse of Fire by Heidi Heilig and this is set in, this is actually a little alternate history. It's sort of set in like a, it's a little bit based on Vietnam and the French uh, colonization, but it's very much a reimagining of that. It's not meant to be read as alternate history. It's just inspired in part by that. And the main character is the daughter of these um, shadow puppet theater masters like they make their living uh, traveling around and you know putting on these shadow puppet plays and Jetta, who is the daughter is has this secret. Um, She has magic which is forbidden and like must be hidden at all costs and she is but she uses it to help like make their shadow plays even better and one of the reasons they are trying to do this is to raise money to get out. Like it, there's a lot of unrest there's a lot of violence. It's very dangerous for them and they're trying to get out and she ends up being in touch with the like revolution Forces, but she's not sure how she feels about that. She's also struggling, you know, with being neurodivergent in a world that is not set up for that. And like how to, you know, her own feelings about her feelings. Her feelings about her feelings. Like it's very meta. Um, and then you have this like big action-y adventure. There are two I want to say books in this duology, and I just thought it was so immersive. It's so compelling. Jetta is such a great character. There are a lot of excellent supporting characters. There is a lot of drama. Like, it's not a light book. But I think, you know, your daughter might feel seen and also this is like a very you know not our world but still a safe way to like start thinking about yeah like her experiences what do those look like for other people and I thought maybe having a character and an author who share that diagnosis would be affirming for her so again that's for a muse of fire by Heidi Heilig
0: I picked a memoir called Haldol and Hyacinths by Melody moezi um, which does come with trigger warning for a suicide attempt. I think this would be good for either of you, both of you, to read. <laughs> And because it's a memoir, so there's a lot of things that you can, you know, get from, uh, it's a, it's a lot of memoir about her dealing with her family. So as the parent, I think that there's a lot of like cautionary tale stuff about how to respond to your daughter's, uh, diagnosis in here. Um, so Melody was born to, her parents are from Iran and she, they left in the, during the Islamic Revolution and come, came to America. And so she's raised in this like big gossipy kind of, uh, diaspora community in america and loves it like it's it's vibrant it's um loving it's supportive all of that she gets really sick with like a like a not a mental illness, like a physical sickness. I mean, I'm no mental illness. It's our physical sickness, but you know what I mean? Um, When she's 18 and the community just is so there for her and brings her all of these flowers, hence the hyacinths in the title. But then she is diagnosed with bipolar disorder a few years later and has a few stays in psychiatric hospitals and is put on a whole bunch of different medications and all of that. And the community is not there for her in that moment. They're there for her when she's physically sick, but not when she's mentally ill. And so that has a lot of repercussions. She's told by her family to like hide it, that it's something maybe a little like kind of shameful or at least embarrassing, like keep it in the family, that sort of thing. The medical community is not really any better, uh, in the, in her area, telling her how to how to deal with this diagnosis and how to just like be a person out in the world, living her life. And so she, after that, becomes a really really outspoken advocate for mental health care and for not living in shame or quietude or like putting yourself in a corner, or making yourself smaller, but kind of reclaiming your life and living very openly and in your truth, the same way that everyone else on the planet is encouraged to do. There's no reason you should not be allowed to do that and so it's both a um an indictment on like the medical community and how it treats people with med- with mental illnesses but also um it has a lot of cultural uh, commentary that might not be you know like if you're not iranian you might not you know feel like that's kind of that that's relevant to your experience or your daughter might not but everybody you know family pressure is mm. knows no culture <laughs> Like everybody's going to have a family member who they feel weird about talking about stuff like this with, you know, whether or not it's because they're not supportive or it's just another business or whatever. like any that's a pretty universal feeling, I think. And her journey from being really, really ill and going in and out of hospitals and feeling very ashamed of herself to living this kind of full throated life that she refuses to let go of that she is, you know, gonna fill with vibrancy and and joy and happiness and and have the kind of life that everybody else gets to have, I think is, you know, kind of the opposite of what your daughter said she's read so far, where people just succumb, not just succumb, but succumb to their illness or are overtaken by it. Like this is a, um, maybe a more hopeful kind of perspective for someone who has just been diagnosed and is maybe worried about the future. I think this will be comforting. And for you as a parent, don't be like her parents <laughs> like read it and be like let me just not let me just not do that which you know if you wrote wrote into a podcast looking for how to support her you're already not that parent so i'm not like you know no shade to you um, but i think that you will find usefulness in it as well so that's haldol and hyacinth by melody moezi All right, our last question ever (laughs) for the two of us is from Alex, who says, I would like a recommendation for happy, kind, queer graphic novels. I've absolutely loved all the volumes of Heartstopper and Check, Please. I really liked Chef's Kiss and The Prince and the Dressmaker. Bloom was okay, but I didn't love it. And I absolutely hated the treatment of disability and religion in blankets. All right, Jen, what you got? Oh, well, I'm so
1: excited. <laughs> a Delightful. We're, we're ending on an up note for once on the show. <laughs> I will also say we have a post on the site for books like Heartstoppers. So I'm going to leave you a link for that for you to dive even further. But I was delighted uh, and am delighted to recommend one of my favorites, which is Fence. Uh, by C.S. Passat with uh, Joanna the Mad, Joanna LaFuente, and Jim Campbell. This is a graphic novel series that there are currently... I've lost track of how many volumes. There's a bunch out and as you might guess from the title it is about fencing uh the main character nicholas is attending has like gotten accepted to this prestigious private school that has like a competitive fencing program he's a freshman it's his first year and he's like got a lot to prove like he's got this half brother who is you know Like a a fencing prodigy has had all of this training and Nicholas is estranged from their father and like has like a very scrappy growing up and like learning how to fence story. So, you know, he comes in with a little bit of a chip on his shoulder for good reasons um, and then ends up being a roommate to this very like seemingly arrogant, withdrawn fence prodigy named Seiji who, like, then they immediately, of course, like, tension. Um, like, is there going <laughs> to be feelings? You have to read and find out. The cha- the supporting characters are fantastic. There's this group of, like, watching this, like, fencing team. And they're, like, competitive with each other. But they're also, like, a lot of, there's a lot of support. I'm obsessed with all of these characters. I love the art. I love the writing. Like, it is going to give you the thing that you want. Absolutely. Uh, so, again, that's fence
0: all right my last recommendation (laughs) for Get booked is the girl from the sea by molly knox ostertag which is the sweetest (laughs) little graphic novel about a 15 year old girl named morgan who has grown up on an island uh, where she really really wants to leave (laughs) she wants to you know finish high school and get away from her annoying mom and her annoying little brother and her friends who she loves but she is in the closet and so she is afraid to tell them and wants to go out into the world where she can kind of live her truth and not have to worry about how her friends are going to react. Um, And then one night she is swimming. She gets really, really close to drowning and is saved by a mysterious girl who calls herself Kelty. Uh, they do a little smooching, and then it becomes pretty obvious when she tells her that she's um, a silky, a silky, like a uh, one of those Irish. Is it Irish or Scottish? It's a up there <laughs> Northern yeah. European myth about women who turn into seals, and then when they uh, find someone who loves them, they can they get like legs, like legs for walking, and can come onto the land, and so. With Morgan's kiss, Kelty has been given legs, and so now she can come onto the land. And so then Morgan has to deal with, like, I really, really like this girl. Seal? Girl. Seal? That whole thing. (laughs) Um, And then also, like, but she can't tell my friends because I'm not out to my friends. And it includes the conversation, like, the text message conversations that her friends are having. Like, who is this girl? Where did she come from? You know, uh, why doesn't she know how to, like, walk fast? You know, (laughs) those sorts of things. So it's, like, a much, much... (laughs) sweeter, feminist, lesbian version of The Little Mermaid, except with a seal and not a mermaid. It's so cute. It's so cute. And I really like, I don't know if this is like a thing, but I have noticed that a lot of lesbian stories or like fantasy stories are are about like sea creatures, mermaids, sea myths, hmm. things like that. You know, like a lot of retellings of the little mermaid but with like a woman and I am loving it. I love this so much. I didn't know I had a thing for the little mermaid because the prince in the little mermaid's <laughs> annoying, but when it's a lady, I'm like, "Yes, this is better. This is this is what I wanted out of this story." <laughs> um okay, but except it's a seal. So I know I keep talking about the little mermaid, but you get the you get the idea. Um so that's The Girl from the Sea by Molly Knox Ostertag amazing and that is our show in both a meta and micro Way, <laughs> macro and, and micro. <laughs> thank you so much to our audio editor, Jen sync for all of these years of assistance with our various flubs. Yeah. Of course, thank you all for listening over, God, years. How many? I don't even know. Seven? A lot. Yeah, it's a lot. A lot of years. Most of our adult life right <laughs> for the two of us. If you want more book recommendations for anything, like if you really need a last minute rec and you can't find anything, If you search bookride.com, use keywords, uh, you will probably find something. Like, we have so much content uh, that you can, with a little digging, reliably find something. Until we get the some version of this show up and running again, or whatever the final, you know, Pokemon final evolution of Get Booked is going to be, until we figure that out. If you need help with book recommendations, you know, DM us. or Send us a tweet, and somebody will more than likely be very willing to help you. And that... I guess that's it. All of our other podcasts you can hear at bookride.com slash slash listen. You can leave a rating or review if you want. I don't know that it (laughs) matters so much anymore. Um, And if you would like to get in touch with us, I'm on social media. I'm still on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. And where can they find you, Jen?
1: Yeah, I'm on Twitter and Tumblr as Jen IRL, J-E-N-N-I-R-L, or on Instagram as I am Jen IRL. And you can, you know, still hear me given sci-fi fantasy recs over yes. at SFF, yeah. And we do take questions on that show, as most of the other shows do as well. Just saying. Just
0: saying. Yeah, that's true. So you can email any of the—we have a show for pretty much every genre— and so if you go listen to those shows, you can email those hosts as well. And they'll, everybody is really, you know, of course, nice and willing to help you. <laughs> that's what we're here for. So thank you all so much for many years of just the most specific questions humanly possible. Um, the most. <laughs> and Godspeed to all of you. Best of luck. And that's it. Have a great day.